This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good uh, Tuesday afternoon, everyone. I'm Brian Callahan, and this is News Talk on your VOCM. So if you were listening to Open Line this morning, you probably know why I'm in the uh, News Talk chair today. That's because your regular host, the lovely and talented Linda Swain, was in for Patty this morning. And to be honest, two talk shows in one day is simply too much for any human being, really. (laughs) Could arguably fall into the category of cruel and unusual punishment. Hey, Claudette. If you're listening along this morning, I tell you, it, um, it's not for the faint of heart. It can run the gamut in topics. And uh, Linda is uh, yeoman service this morning, as she was yesterday morning. And we're hoping Patty be back um, uh, himself tomorrow morning. So what's on the go today? This is News Talk. That's what it's all about. Uh, we're going to talk some news. And we do take phone calls here on this program. So if uh, the mood should strike you and uh, you have a moment, why not give us a shout on any of the topics that are in the news today? 273-5211-709, of course, in the uh, metro area. And one 590 vocm everywhere else uh, in the listening area. So um, uh, let's see. Yeah, lots of news when the House of Assembly is in session, of course. And then there's the courts, of course, where I was actually for most of the morning following a couple of cases of interest, not the least of which, of course, uh, is that attack on a student outside PWC back in March, you may recall. Um, happened over the lunch hour, uh, certainly shocked many people as to the brazen nature of it and the the five that we know uh, allegedly that were involved who have been charged, four of those five are youth uh, and were so at the time of this um, attack on a student which... uh, uh, left the student with serious condition, in serious condition, was t- rushed to hospital, is recovering. But uh, attempted murder charges were laid in this case, as well as aggravated assault, and um, which is one step below, um, you know, the um, attempted or murder charge. So it's, uh, it's serious stuff. Um, teenager was ambushed outside the uh, main entrance and there um, you know there is we know a video of it and the tri- it has, this has not gone to trial yet so we can only get into so many of the details but um, uh, three of the youth have a trial date set for late November and the fourth um, uh, person of the five the only adult to be charged so he was over 18 at the time of this alleged offense and that's Tyler Greening. He made, um, well, at least his lawyer made an appearance on beha- his behalf this morning. Um, he had mentioned that only this past Friday, the lawyer had received about 3,000 pages of disclosure from the Crown. So needless to say, they were not ready to go this morning. I uh, want some time to review all of that before they uh, go ahead with a plea. And so that's set over. So it continues to make its way. I just want to let you know, sometimes I know you don't, not everyone hears about these stories in the news every day because there aren't necessarily significant developments in them. Um, but when there are, we try to be our best to be on top of them and report them. So that, um, that course, uh, that t- did come before the courts again this week. And that's the latest. So we uh, so have trials in late uh, November for three of the youth. And then uh, the, the lone adult here is... Um, uh, back on December the 5th for a status to see if he's what if he will enter a plea at that time and one of the teens of course uh, we do know as well was picked up last week for breaching a bail condition so uh, everybody but the adult 
um, in this case is uh, still in custody. So um, time is ticking and the courts don't like to see people kept in custody on remand too long before they actually get to trial and the guilt or innocence is determined. But such is the way the courts move um, sometimes. And as I said, 3,000 pages of disclosure seems like a legitimate reason to give that defense lawyer a, a little bit more time to prepare. Um, as well, uh, this week, you may recall um, several cases of arson that uh, were reported back in February and January of this year. Uh, a gentleman was arrested, Alex Hayes, 33 years old. Um, he had been facing uh, charges in connection with four different arsons. So these were all around the downtown area, except for one which um, took place at Freshwater Auto on Freshwater Road. Um, these were the four that he was alleged to have had a hand in. Um, he has now pleaded guilty to just one of the four. It looks like the other three might go away. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but this is sort of the process uh, when um, they said a, uh, uh, he pleads guilty to one and the other three are put up for status, which means basically they're trying to work out a deal whereby you'd get a guilty plea in exchange for... Um, in exchange for having other charges dropped. Happens all the time in the, uh, in the interest of expediency, and we rely on the Crown and the courts to do their, you know, diligence, best uh, due diligence and, um, and judgment on these. But in this case, um, Alex Hayes has pleaded guilty to one of the arsons, and this apparently was the one involving the historic home, also known as the observatory, historically, back in the day, right next to the rooms downtown. Uh, there was actually video and um, uh, photo captured of the suspect on the front steps of the building at the time. Um, he had, uh, Mr. Hayes had professed his innocence throughout, but has now entered a guilty plea to one of the charges. So there is a sentencing hearing in January for that. So that's where that case is. Only one suspect was ever arrested in connection with those four arsons. Uh, the other two, there were two others involving sheds down in the Empire Avenue area um, near Circular Road, that area. And as I mentioned, the other one uh, involving Freshwater Auto on Freshwater Road. So uh, that's where that case stands. So, um, and there are, as we know, many others. It's just hard to get to all of them. But you, you can be satisfied that, you know, once there are significant developments, we will be on top of them as best we can, uh, especially myself, unless I'm assigned elsewhere. And uh, we just uh, do our best to um, rank those in terms of importance and do our best to cover as much as we can. And um, I would talk about the Jays, but there are no Jays in the playoffs, of course. We do know that. <laughs> I'm going to go to sports just for a second. Um, I'll get to baseball in a minute, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tee up tonight's tilt between the Habs and the Devils in Montreal going to be fun featuring one Dawson Mercer of Bay Roberts and of course the Habs new acquisition and Townie Alex Newhook it should be a fun one both of them going head to head tonight in uh, at the Bell Center in Montreal that should be fun a uh, good bit of early season um, I won't call it drama but feeling each other out I'm sure it'll be a good uh, I'm sure there'll be a few cracks back and forth by um, maybe some of the announcers who are well aware that we got a good couple of Newfoundlanders going head to head in that one. And if, if hockey's not your bag, and baseball is, uh, or if both are, you'll be doing a lot of flicking back and forth because game seven of the NLCS between the Phillies and Diamondbacks goes tonight for around 9.30. So nothing like a game seven, honestly. Um, same as last night in the ALCS. It's rare. I think, uh, I can't remember, I think it's been 20 more years since both the ALCS, the American League Championship Series, and the National League Championship Series is both went to seven games, and Texas emerged last night, much to the happiness of many people who just don't like the Astros, and that goes back to the cheating scandal a few years back. 
um, where they admitted they were stealing some signs in one shape or, well, we won't get into all the details of that, but all I remember is one guy going to home plate, Altuve, if you follow, telling the boys, don't, uh, don't rip off my shirt, leave my shirt alone, because you might not, uh, the rumor was that he had wires on underneath <laughs> Don't know if that was ever proven, but uh, you got to love the drama and the um, behind-the-scenes talk that goes on. And uh, Game 7 tonight. And would you look at that? We're already up to break time. So uh, coming up, after courts today, I dropped over to the Delta Hotel where the Premier of the province, Premier Andrew Fury, delivered his State of the Province address to the St. John's Board of Trade. Um, I think it's fair to say uh, energetic but a feisty mood the Premier was in this morning. Uh, had a go at the federal and environment minister, had a go at the governor of Bank of Canada, had a go at Quebec over um, the uh, uh, upper, uh, sorry, the um, Churchill Falls deal and uh, what's coming up in 2041 and what a great position we are in now as opposed to before. So he touched just about everything and we'll go through some of that. I'll give you um, the highlights of his speech and then tomorrow morning. Uh, we had a scrum late this afternoon with the premier later, and uh, he um, he had some colorful language to say the least. But I'll only tease you with that. You'll have to tune into the morning show for all of it. But coming up in a few minutes, we'll have his uh, remarks, uh, setting the tone for that um, state of the province address today down at the Delta Hotel. That's right after the break here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain today. So as mentioned before the break, um, down at the Delta Hotel this afternoon for the uh, Board of Trades, St. John's Board of Trades, uh, State of the Province addressed by Premier Andrew Fury. And first things first, let me get this out of the way. No election anytime soon. That was made abundantly clear today. Uh, seemed the Premier might have let it tease a little bit there for a few days, certainly in the um, aftermath of the Tory convention a couple of weekends ago. But uh, he made it clear today. It's, it's certainly not before Christmas. And um, certainly, you know, by all accounts, no time soon were his words today at the Delta. So uh, without further ado, here is the uh, Premier today. This is some of his um, statement when he was getting into our resources and, um, and on his priority list. And, of course, uh, he couldn't uh, resist by just um, even mentioning a little bit of how we're uh, still saddled a little bit, more than a little bit, by Muskrat Falls. And then, of course... There's the billion-dollar elephant in the room. I wish it was just a billion-dollar. Muskrat Falls. But we dug in, and because of our work, because of our hard work, we secured the $5.2 billion deal with the federal government, further lessening the burden of the sh on the shoulders of each and every Newfoundlander and Labradorian. Now, I know the momentum we're talking about can be hard to feel by families and households across our province, especially given the challenges posed by the high cost of living coming out of the pandemic. I know this impacts not only your business costs, but also your families and your employees and their families. We've seen it. We feel it too. And my government has responded with more than a half a billion dollars in targeted short-term and long-term measures to help. 
There's the home heating supplement program providing up to $500 to eligible residents who use furnace or stove oil to heat their homes. We've eliminated the 15% retail sales tax on home insurance. And there's been a 50% reduction in motor vehicle registration fees. And thanks to the upswing of our oil and gas industry last year, we were able to provide a one-time cost of living check to help Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Looking further down the road, we, we need to help the current situation while thinking of what's ahead. That's why we have funding for electric vehicle rebates and charging infrastructure. Funding to help homes transition from oil to electric heat. And a 15% increase to the income supplement and seniors benefit. For today and for tomorrow, we have lowered the price at the pump by cutting the provincial gas tax in half, saving you more than eight cents a litre the second lowest gas tax in the entire country. We did that to help offset the federal government's carbon tax. Of course, we agree with Ottawa on a lot of issues, but the carbon tax is not one. Friends, the carbon tax, the federal carbon tax, just does not make sense right now. There are no options to change. The fundamental premise of this tax is built on options to change. And in Newfoundland and Labrador, right now, they just don't exist. So while well-conceived perhaps in 2015, the options have not materialized for people in our province. As a result, it affects your businesses. It impacts your families disproportionately, by the way, than any other province in the country, not contemplated by our federal government. So I want to tell you that I will continue to make our voice heard loud and clear in Ottawa and to our federal counterparts to ensure that they understand the impact, induced and indirect, by the way, which they haven't contemplated, that this instrument is having on Newfoundland and Labrador. We will continue to be heard, and we will continue to fight for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians when it comes to the carbon tax. Because there are plenty of other ways, frankly, plenty of other instruments to implement, to mitigate the impact of climate change. Some of the largest economies in the world aren't using a carbon tax. The United States does not use a carbon tax. You can see innovative ways here in our own economy. You can see it in the decarbonization efforts in our or offshore oil and gas already, as one example. We've been working hard with our partners in the oil and gas sector the industry that has brought sudden prosperity is still and will be continued a valuable partner in our province's future. It's still an important revenue and job generator with the lower carbon, secure supply of ethical oil to meet the global demand. And our industry will continue to be important as we strengthen and build on other industries, as we transition towards a green economy for the future of Newfoundland and Labrador, the future of Canada, and the future of the world. Make no mistake, the impact of climate change is real. The wildfires we've seen this year alone caused us all to take pause. 
Look at the devastation we all experienced from Hurricane Fiona. If we don't act now, we'll be working towards survival instead of a brighter future. But I believe a measured balance approach, one that uses our renewable assets, are that future. We must act now, and Newfoundland and Labrador is doing its part. Green energy, it's something we've been working with and working towards. It's defined by the game-changing possibilities currently being unlocked in harnessing our wind to produce hydrogen, renewable, clean, green energy. And it is endlessly, as we all know too well, abundant and available. And that boom has already resonated as far as Europe and around the world. Global leaders are coming here to get, on, get in early on what promises to be a new day for a new form of energy. Now, speaking of a new day, the sun is setting quickly on a bad old day, a bad old deal. While 2041 may feel like a long time away, in utility terms, it is today. Now, when I spoke to you last year, who would have thought that the Premier of Quebec would come here to Newfoundland and Labrador and acknowledge the disparities of the Upper Churchill Falls deal? I am confident in our position. I am confident in our team. And I am confident that while Quebec needs to do a deal this time, it will only be done with the utmost benefits for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. We've all been putting in the work across industries. Our fishery has redefined itself with newer products, expanding wide to wider markets. Our mining sector is booming as of the critical minerals and access to green renewable energy here continues to be in high demand. And our arts and tourism sectors have just recorded one of the busiest seasons in years. My friends, we've made a lot of progress in these last few years, but the job is nowhere near done yet. So I will ask you all of this. Let us leave here today with a renewed commitment to keep pushing, to keep the momentum going and growing. Let's all put our hands on it, dig deep, and continue to give it everything we've got. And let's get the word out. Let's talk loud and proud about the Big East and its even bigger potential. Because ours is a history of resilience, a how-to on survival. Facing down adversity is second nature to us, as we've done it for centuries of weathering any and any storm. Your sweat, your toil, your unwavering commitment to the province and its people serve as a testament to the enduring spirit of this place we love and call home. Every extra mile you put, every extra hour you invest, you help reinforce and build the foundation of the new, modern, Newfoundland and Labrador. My government, your government, 
is behind you, alongside you. So together, let's keep putting in the work. God guard thee, Newfoundland and Labrador. And that is just a, uh, a taste of what the Premier had to say today during the um, Board of St. John's Board of Trade's State of the Province address by the Premier. I should say the Board of Trade uh, hosted that today down at the Delta Hotel. Now, shortly after the Premier's uh, comments, um, he uh, held a scrum with reporters and um, uh, he elaborated on some of the points he made there in the scrum, including some comments he had about the federal environment minister not really, not at all understanding the situation Newfoundland and Labrador is in. He also took issue with the governor of Bank of Canada. You may have heard in the news today where the governor of, uh, governor of the Bank of Canada is not too happy with uh, at least three premiers who have, uh, who has, it's been interpreted as they're sort of pressuring the Bank of Canada when it comes to interest rates and what to do with them. That's the way it's been interpreted on the national front. Premier takes a different view. He says, you know, I'm going to go to bat for the province in any comment. I'm not going to not comment on how interest rates would harm us. Uh, and takes issue with the suggestion that they're trying to influence or pressure the governor, governor or the Bank of Canada to uh, not raise a rates or whatever to do with them or how they go about their business. Um, and, you know, so uh, there was that. And uh, what else? Um, of course, we talked about the election and a host of other issues that he got into. And if you want to hear all of the uh, comments he had to say, you'll just have to tune into the morning show tomorrow with Ben and Jerry Lynn. Um, because the scrum tape is uh, it's pretty good, to say the least. Um, I've done a lot of scrums with the Premier, but this was as informative. And uh, as I said off the top, a little bit feisty today. He wasn't uh, holding much back. Wouldn't go as far as John Crosby's No Hole Barred, but, uh, no holes barred, but uh, it was a good scrum and informative. Uh, there was a lot of meat on that bone. So tune into the morning show tomorrow morning for that. Coming up after the break, a little bit more politics. We'll take you to the House of Assembly for some of the uh, larger topics today, including the body safety issue with kids and, and in schools, um, as well as Uber and uh, some concerns about how it will affect rural Newfoundland. I'm Brian Callahan here on News Talk Today. And for Linda Swain, we'll be right back after the news with Noah Shepard. And just before we get into the news, we just had a call from uh, VOCM listener Mike, who's on the Outer Ring Road westbound just uh, before you get to Donovan's. He says there's an accident in the area uh, just before the Donovan's turnoff, and traffic is backing up a lot Ooh, in that area. What a time of day for that. Certainly. Uh, never a good time for an accident. But And then I find that you're going to, people are going to try to go in another way and that way is going to be blocked as well so it's going to be hard coming home. I find that area right there at Donovan's coming down through the extension to Camout Road and up to Paradise All the other that way. Area. That's in a confusing little it's it almost is. like the engineer said we're stuck with it we'll just have to work with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I've noticed some accidents over in the past week yeah. or so in that area. Yeah the lanes you can or can't turn into it's just uh, you have to know where you're going that's you one of those areas. Do. It's kind of like Rollins Cross only times 10. Uh uh, thanks, Claudette, for that. Always. That's the, the value of live radio in this afternoon like this. We can get those important uh, notes out there. So avoid at all cost is the uh, advice. Um, as mentioned, let's get to the news. Noah Shepard, I'll be right back with News Talk. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. And uh, let's get right to it. Back to the House of Assembly. And we know yesterday that the... Um, 
Auditor General released the long-awaited, much-anticipated, uh, for some uh, not anticipated, uh, report on operations at MUN. And um, by now you've all heard probably of the extravagance on um, custom-made chocolates and furniture and on and on and on it goes, seemingly with, you know, a little bit of um, obliviousness to the struggles of students, which said what that university was there for. But in any event, that came up, all came up in the debate uh, at the House of Assembly today. And uh, we were all expecting a little bit of fireworks and uh, we weren't uh, disappointed. Um, here's a little bit between the opposition House Leader Barry Petten and Education Minister Crystalyn Howell. Speaker, while students at Mun have faced massive tuition increase and cuts to funding, university leadership ordered custom chocolates and college limousine. So why are students being forced to pay for the failure of the Liberal government to rein in spending at Mun? The Honourable the Minister of Education. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We recognise that there's a responsibility to uh, the public in terms of how their funds are being spent. And that's why it's our intention to work with Memorial University on implementing the recommendations of the Auditor General's report. We know that there are things in there that are certainly concerning, uh, and we want to continue to work with the leadership at Memorial University. You know, since the audit period had begun in 2019, we can already see some changes that have been made in Memorial University, and uh, we're confident that they have the ability to work with us uh, to continue to make changes that will impact the lives of students and the funds that are required to achieve an education. The Honourable the Opposition House Leader. The Minister may be able to elaborate at another time what's changed, because what I've seen yesterday in that report, this is really, this is, is, is alarming. So I'd, I'd like to know what change she's referring to, because we haven't seen them. Speaker, again, the food bank on campus has been overwhelmed and residents are outraged by chocolates, limousines, oil changes and free liquor. Why is the Minister refusing to condemn this behaviour? The Honourable the Minister of Education. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We have already recognized and acknowledged that there are certainly issues at Memorial University that are concerning for this government. And that's, they've recognized that as well. They've acknowledged that there has to be change. And we're willing to work with them. As I said, they've already demonstrated measures in which they've changed. They've already stepped up. They've uh, made changes to how they conduct their meetings so that there's a more appropriate flow of information, which uh, was identified as one of the issues for the Auditor General. They've also identified that they're working on uh, doing their human resource searches in-house. They have five deans that they're searching for right now, and they've already made significant steps in how they do that without the use of an outside source. So we're confident that these measures are just the beginning of ways that Memorial can step up and make the changes required. Uh, the Honourable the Opposition House Leader. Thank you, Speaker. I mean, those the, change, the report, we only seen a report lunchtime yesterday. All these changes are happening. Why are they happening? Because they were called out. Who called them out? This side of the house. Yeah. We called them out. Why did the AG come in? Because we demanded the AG go in. So this is now cold comfort to the people of the province. We don't see no, no action yet. These are only words. The minister should be over in the president's office asking for change today. Speaker, last year, when the former president's lavish contract became public, residents were outraged by personal trainers and expensive office renovations. While student housing has become impossible to find, the government attended a $100,000 retreat at the Fogo Island Inn. Why are students suffering while everyone else at Mon are living high in the hog? Wow. The Honourable the Minister of Education. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to first take the opportunity to correct the member yeah. opposite. There was no member of government who attended the retreat that he's referenced. 
However, I, I would also like to I would also like to take the opportunity to identify that Memorial University has acknowledged that there are challenges. Mr. Speaker, I'd like the opportunity to answer a question. Order, please. Yeah, you are too. Order, please. Minister of Education. Mr. Speaker, we've had the opportunity to chat with Memorial University, and they recognize that there has to be accountability and responsibility measures that are instituted. I reiterate that on every meeting that we have with the President and the Office of the President at Memorial University. But as opposed to the way in which the member opposite suggests that we correct this program, this problem with a heavy hand or a slash and dash type of method, people on this side of the House believe that consultations and collaboration with the university will certainly give us the results that we expect. The, hon the Honourable Leader of Official Opposition. Only I got a few seconds. I could go a long while on consultation, Minister. <laughs> and lack of consultation, I might add. We don't see no consultation. Play with words. Speaker. The buck stops with this Liberal government. They appoint the majority of the Board of Regents. The Liberal government must stop hiding from accountability and step up and take responsibility for it. Students are facing a cost-of-living crisis and need something from the Minister except excuses for inaction. When is the Minister going to start representing students versus defending the elite at Mon? The Honourable the Minister of Education. Mr. Speaker, it is certainly an issue that we are concerned with. As I've said before, we are taking uh, every opportunity to work with Memorial University to correct some of the issues that have been identified. But when it comes to support for students, that's top of mind. That's top priority for this government. We'll continue to work and do that. Just this last semester, we were able to offer $10 million relief to the students of Memorial University. The direct impact that they'll be able to feel with that money returned to their bank accounts. So we'll continue to work on measures like that to allow the, the student life to grow and to continue to, be, uh, to continue to excel at Memorial University. On the other flip side of that, we also recognize recognize that there has to be more accountability and responsibility, which is why we've since beefed up the Board of Regents and been able to appoint a new board that will continue to work. The Honourable, the Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you, Speaker, but the Minister needs to remind, tell, admit they were the Board of Regents, the majority of them are appointed by government. They're their people. The, their people are on that Board of Regents. They should, the buck stops with them. The Auditor General found Memorial has the highest administrative salaries per student compared to comparable universities. $375 per student higher than the next highest university. And Mun's administrative cost was $893 per student higher than the average for all universities compared. Why does the Liberal government force students to pay for the administrative bloat at Mun? The Honourable the Minister of Education. Mr. Speaker, I'd like first to take the opportunity to address the preamble to the question. Uh, when we look at the Board of Regents, there was a significant amount of time where there were vacancies on the board. We've since had the opportunity to correct that. We've, uh, in, we have now in place uh, 16 members on the board. We have a, a chair of the board now who will be working with those new members. We've had the opportunity to have elected members who are alumni representatives that have been on the board. We have faculty representatives who now sit on the Board of Regents, and there are student representatives that have been appointed as well. And we're confident that the board that's in place now will take responsibility, they will institute measures of accountability and responsibility, and that they will have an open line of communication with the university to ensure that these measures are in place. And that is our Education Minister, Crystal Lynn Howell, for the province, uh, responding to uh, questions from Opposition House Leader Barry Petten there on the release of the AG's report on Memorial University yesterday. Uh, interesting, you know, it was actually handed to government at the end of last week, 
Um, um, no release on a Friday, but they released it on a Monday. Sometimes Monday gives a, a story a lot more kick than it does on a Friday afternoon. Uh, more importantly, into the immediacy, Claudette, we got an update on that accident, hey, from yeah. uh, motorists? Yeah, motorists called in to let us know that it, it appears that the fire department is directing traffic, hmm. so some emergency crews are directing traffic at that accident scene, which I'm told is on the Trans-Canada Highway westbound just before the Donovan's turnoff. So so the left lane is open, right. um, but they're letting traffic go by one by one, almost like a zipper merge with mm. the with the traffic being controlled by the emergency crews that are on scene. And traffic is backed up uh, a lot in that area. Okay, steer clear. If you can, avoid that to get home or wherever you're going. Anywhere around Donovan's, the turn off to Donovan's, off the TCH and Chem Mount Road there, that area. Westbound, I think it is, yeah. Yes. One, one. Okay, hope everyone's okay. A little bit right on the break. Look at that, Claudette, as planned, as scripted right out. It's important Um, for you, isn't it? (laughs) It's important for our boss. But you, you have to be down to the second. And look, I'm kind of making you over now. Yeah, I was down to the second, Claudette. (laughs) Till I jumped on the air. Anyway, yeah, let's get to a break. This is uh, News Talk. Uh, We'll be right back. Join Craig Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Also, um, yesterday, of course, the uh, province announced a new ride-sharing plan for the province, given the uh, pressures on taxi industry. And um, God knows, if you've been at the airport at 3 in the morning, couldn't get a cab, uh, you kind of uh, welcoming this. So Uber and the province says they've been in touch with Uber and these other organizations, Lyft and um, the local cab company now, cab companies appear to be uh, on side as well, as long as the rules are consistent across the board. But the MHA for Terranova is questioning whether, you know, um, a proper rural Newfoundland lens, a rural lens has been put on this. In, because, you know, obviously the realities of uh, Metro St. John's are quite different than the realities out around the bay or where, you know, there's only a few cabs, companies, and cabs themselves. So Lloyd Parrott welcomes the introduction of the ride-sharing, of course, but in debate on the new amendments in the House uh, this afternoon, he questioned whether rural operators were actually even consulted on their input. Obviously, it's good when legislation comes in that uh, moves forward the province, and certainly when it comes to ride-share and, and Uber and likes. Obviously, you would hope that it would create a, 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 an area where it's cheaper for people to get transportation, certainly given today's uh, economic climate and what people are going through. There are some things that I, concern me, I guess, about the bill, and I, I'll, I'll talk about the first thing, which is the ability for a municipality to get an exemption. And I'm, I, I guess for myself, I just wonder why municipalities wouldn't have to apply to be a part of the legislation, why the government is automatically blanking it. And, you know, the reality is you could have Uber operators or ride-sharing companies working inside a municipality without the municipality having applied for their exemption and, and it could create some problems. The other thing about that that I, I have to question is while a municipality can apply for an exemption, we have lots of LSDs and, and unincorporated areas throughout the province that may have uh, an incorporated business working inside of those areas as a taxi, uh, taxi lot transporting people and their business could be negatively affected now we don't know that that's the case we would hope that as business expands it's just going to create competition and give everybody a better experience um, I guess the biggest thing that I, I'm concerned about is as the minister stood up and talked about this bill 
Well, she said it was a provincial approach. She referenced St. John's a dozen times. And I see, and I've traveled, and I've, I've utilized Uber all over the world, and I know how well it can work. And I know, and I believe it can work very well in St. John's. But I, I think once you go outside the overpass, there are some difficulties that will be faced, certainly with smaller taxi companies and their ability to compete with Uber. But the one thing that really bothers me again, and it's a thing that I've said in this house time and time again, is that we need to put a lens on rural Newfoundland. And the way these ride-sharing companies work, and Uber, any of them, they're all the same, is they work through, they work through technology and apps. And once we get outside of St. John's into rural Newfoundland, we all know that the technology is not there, the cellular service is not there, the ability to access the internet is not there. So what is the solution? And I haven't heard anyone mention anything about that today. So while it's okay to say that this is gonna be great for the province as a provincial approach, once again, this Liberal government is alienating a large portion of the province. Absolutely, you can shake your head no, but come out in my district, I can show you lots of places where Uber could not work. Well, obviously, we need to start talking about our ability to get cell phone service and internet into these areas, and it's not happening. And we, know, we all know that. So I, I guess that's the biggest thing for me, is what is the approach? Why have we overlooked it again? Why haven't we talked about that inside of this bill? Because when a company comes here to go to work, they obviously want to be able to go wherever they want to in the province, and they will absolutely be alienated in their ability to deliver these services in rural Newfoundland. It doesn't work by a telephone call. It works by an app. You go in, you put what you want, they come. We all know exactly how it works. So it, it's just, uh, yeah, it just don't work. That's the reality of it. I know the government always talks about the consultations that they've done, but I'd be curious to understand what consultations they've done outside of the Avalon again. Uh, again, in, in remote areas in Labrador where there's taxi stands operating in, in the Bonavista Peninsula, in the Terranova District, on the West Coast, Stephenville, Port-a-Port, Burgio-Lapoil. There's cabs and taxi stands operating in all of these districts, and I, I would be shocked to find out that there was any consultation done with any of them. So, you know, I, again, I'll say, these small companies that have been around, these mom-and-pop companies that have been around for a number of years, are going to struggle if Uber goes into some of these small communities. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against this. I'm just wondering if these conversations have been had and if there's solutions that are being offered because obviously I haven't heard anything in this legislation. That is the um, PCMHA for Terranova. Lloyd Parrott expressing his concerns about uh, it's all great for Uber and Lyft uh, to be um, enticed to come here, but um, will it work in rural areas where connectivity is not um, is not Cadillac material, I guess you could put it. Uh, we know there are some dark black areas there, so that you can't, um, dead areas where you just can't get a signal. Uh, so whether or not it'll work as well out there. Moving on, I just want to slip in one more uh, piece here. We have, um, I wanted to get Jim in on, he, um, of course, you know, the body safety program will be available to all K-9 to classrooms in the province uh, by next September in 2025. The government announced today that the Kids in the Know body safety program is going to be implemented in all classrooms for children and young teens throughout the province. And the Canadian Centre for Child Protection's National Safety Education Program features activities that they'll use, you know, designed for children to help build those skills and increase personal safety. And the NDP's Jim Dim knows a little bit about it, of course, because he's all over schools. He's a former teacher and uh, he's got enough experience there. Um, and so he had to go with this body safety program and his concerns. Un momento, por favor. 
I hate it when that happens, Claudette. <laughs> I got them. Programs that are that are about um, making sure students are safe. I would say uh, the people I've worked with in my career. My wife was a primary teacher. My daughter's a primary teacher. Uh, there, in their world, the health and well-being of the student was of, of utmost uh, importance to them. So programs that that are teaching children about this definitely are are, are needed and are welcome, especially uh, today when there are so many other uh, threats, I guess, to that. The thing I would have to say, and this is a caveat, I well, I don't know how long I've been saying it, but for a long while, it comes down to the resources in the classroom. Now I think the minister said she's that she's sure there will be resources, and often we find that when it comes to the classroom, <coughs> that the resources are not always apparent in the way uh, or available in the way that the, the minister or the, uh, the or the government may portray. So I would be interested, what are the resources that are, that are going to be there? And then there's the time, uh, because I'll go back to another uh, two, two resources that could be in the system that would help. If we look at teacher allocation, um, smaller class sizes, ratios, <coughs> obviously allow for uh, better instruction and, and discussion of these issues. The other part, I think, over the years, and uh, I talked to teachers uh, like they saw as the the public health nurse who used to be an integral part of the school system, and you gradually, I guess, through cutbacks, they disappeared. So I think they're all part of, it's not just simply the school curriculum, but there's also that um, uh, the other resources from outside that were part of the school, uh, and they were, claw they were clawed back or cut back. I would also look at not just the classroom teacher, but also the uh, do we have an adequate ratio of uh, school counselors to the uh, to, to to the in the school system that are able to address the students who have uh, have have issues that they need to be addressed around body safety and everything else that goes with it. We uh, had there was the safe and caring school policy. And I would argue that many uh, teachers would say that there is a, a lack of resources there as to there is a lot of responsibility in the school but as to having the re uh, adequate resources. It would have been uh, whether it was the curriculum, whether it was the time in the curriculum, whether it was the, uh, um, you know, and, uh, the, the actual uh, curriculum hardware or the, or the technology or whatever else. Those are all key factors, but I, will, I can't help but going back to it at the primary level. I think of the level of school violence mostly that I've encountered, and, and a recent uh, example of that uh, that came to my attention of, uh, of, um, of uh, violence in the, uh, at the lower grades that could be addressed, first and foremost, with smaller class sizes, certainly at the primary and elementary level. I don't know, but to me, I, don't, I haven't heard this government, they, they've done an allocation report uh, review and they haven't acted on it or have haven't followed up on it, but I think you need to start with that. And it sounds like a, a plug for let's say more teachers. But if you're going to have programs like this and these are important, I've seen the evidence of of how smaller classes 
are, are allow teachers that ability to work it into the uh, work it into the curriculum, especially at the primary level, at all at all subject levels. So they they had that opportunity. But again, it comes down to having the uh, the uh, I guess uh, well resources in terms of if it's going to be technology, does that mean we have to have uh, uh, smart boards? Do they have to have interactive tools such as iPads, or do they just need a teacher uh, and a school counselor or a public health nurse that they can also bring these issues to them? That is the uh, province's leader of the NDPA, uh, of the NDP, Jim Din, and the MHA, of course, for St. John's Centre, speaking about the body safety program there. And uh, if there's someone who is speaking from a uh, position of experience and knowledge, it would be Jim Din when it comes to the schools and education. Um, what do you make of some of the comments there? Of course, uh, we do take calls here on News Talk, but uh, we're running out of time rapidly. But Linda will be back tomorrow, so we hope. Uh, Patty will be back in the chair in the morning, so we hope. Uh, won't know till tomorrow, but that's what we're shooting for. And Claudette will be back in that chair, and I'll be out somewhere running around the city on an assignment. I don't know. There's quite a few there, but should be another busy day tomorrow. Um, thanks again, uh, Claudette, for all your hard work. We'll update um, the situation on the roads coming up with the news. And Noah Shepard, I'm Brian Callahan. Have a great evening.